Good morning. Today's passage is a familiar one. It comes from the, chap the, uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. To impact a city, to impact people, you need the movement of God. Bless is really, what it's doing is it's giving you some pragmatic ways to open yourself up to letting God move in your life, to blessing and caring for others, which is really one of the core things. Bless is important to know and practice because it gives us a identity together at Grace Community Church. So we are a body, part of a bigger body. There are smaller bodies like community groups and Bible studies within us, but it gives us a thing to rally around instead of going in any number of different directions because people are passionate about different things and they all still go to grace and that's good and bless covers every little sphere of possible ministry and so that's why bless knowing and practicing is so important because we have to remember who God called us to be and the identity that grace church is calling its congregation to rally around We begin with prayer to remind ourselves of where the focus has to be and where the power has to be from. You can be very eloquent, you can have a plan, but if the Holy Spirit is not involved in the midst of that, your plans will not be successful, or they'll be superficial or less than what they could be. So reminding ourselves and seeking direction from the Spirit, what are we supposed to do? Uh, how are we supposed to do this? Not just to launch out I want to be prepared and I want the Spirit to be there to remind me that this is about Him and not about us. You have to depend on God for this. There's no substitute for it. Trying to copy someone else's style is not going to work. Trying to uh, create something out, out of your own understanding is, is, is not going to work. We still have to depend on provisions that He gives us. I think beginning conversations with the lost or community group or meetings and really just giving that to God and asking God to speak, He does. And I'm always disappointed when I try to pull things off out of my skill set. It can be easy to put the pressure and the weight of evangelism on yourself. Many times we are living our lives and functioning our lives sort of with the sense that I need to do this. I need to save people. I need to be a witness. Me, 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 me. And so even though we don't mean to, we have slipped into a false gospel. And so beginning with prayer, I think, first of all, should be a gut check for us. It should be a place of, do we understand that it is Christ alone for salvation and it is Christ who saves? But secondly, then, if we truly believe that it is Christ who saves, what's more critical than prayer? <laughs> if the Spirit and Christ and God is moving in people, then prayer is actually the critical piece. Too often I'm thinking about, okay, what do I need to say to really make this work. What smart thing am I gonna say? What verse, what can I do to convince this person that they need Jesus? I don't know what God is doing in their heart or where he has them. A lot of times I just need to obey and just 
share truth. And so I think it's just obedience to where's God calling you? Do you really have a heart for lost people? I get that it's scary. I just think so is a lot of things. And I think that when you just take a step, you'll be surprised at how that, how that goes. It's got to begin with prayer because that's the way God reminds us that it's about him and not about us. It's about his power, not our power. It's about his eloquence in manipulating things, not about how clever or eloquent I am. God is already at work in people. And so as we pray for them, his work has already begun. And if we're writing ourselves into this place of, instead of us manufacturing these things on our own, if we get into this habit of, God, what work are you doing? How do I join that work? How do I come alongside of what you're already doing and serve the purposes that you have? It's a very different story. Grace Community Church, I'm Pastor Brooks, glad to be back with you. Last week was my first week back from sabbatical, so those of you who weren't here last week, it's good to see you again. Um, the monthly newsletter, The Grace Insider, is out, when, and as I mentioned last week, the first of many articles to come on kind of sabbatical lessons that I learned uh, is, is featured in there. I encourage you to check that out. So last week we started with John 3.16, very appropriate one week after Easter last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, probably many of you, not all, but many of you have come to a place in your life where that verse is, is bedrock for you. You've trusted Christ for your salvation. You recognize that you're a sinner, um, you've fallen short of the glory of God, and, and Christ is a Savior, and He is the Son of God. He is the God incarnate who came to take the world's sins upon Himself, to, to die on the cross, uh, to, to rise again from the grave, and, and give us His righteousness. A pardon, yes, but also His righteousness, and His Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your heart. So if you're a Christian, that basically is, is what it means to be a Christian. Now the question is, well, now what? Now what? Well, last week we looked at that. Now what? Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I love how Dallas Willard puts that. He goes, the, the translation could be this way, immerse them into the presence of the triune God. That's what baptize means. And so that's what we're to do, teaching them to obey, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. Now, the summary, that's a pretty wide umbrella, all of Jesus' commands, right? Well, what's the summary of the commands? A uh, scribe, lawyer came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest of the commandments? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on those two, uh, those two commands. So that's it. There you have it. So just go love well. And we are all dismissed. Well, here's, here's the reality, and, and this is my reality. Um, it's probably your reality, too. If you are a follower of Christ, a disciple, an apprentice, who is trying to order your life in such a way that obedience to him comes naturally, you find that your flesh doesn't really want to cooperate. And, and you find that while we're called to love well, you look in the mirror, you look, you look at the scriptures, you look at the scriptures and, and you look at Jesus' commands, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And you see the quality of love that Christ has 
for his friends, uh, for, for his enemies, and for the world. And so, oh, I'm supposed to love like that. And then you look in the mirror, you're like, that, that person doesn't love like that. And even when you try, even when you try, you're probably more cognizant of, of your failed efforts, your failed efforts. And, and those who know you well are certainly cognizant of your failed efforts. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating. So as an aspirational level, I want to love well. But the reality is my default mode is really self-protection, self-protection and self-advancement. That is apart from Christ. But I do have the Holy Spirit. And if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit as well. And God desires something better for us. So how do we change? How do we change? How do we progressively become every day more and more like Jesus so that we are loving our families well, so that we are loving our neighbors, literally, the people on on the right and left from us well, the people we work with, the people in our community. And quite frankly, how do we love our enemies? Because they fit under the umbrella of neighbor too, right? How do we love those people who don't love us, but actually who are opposed to us? It begins with prayer. The series is blessed. It stands for Begin With Prayer, Listen, Eat, Serve, Share, Blessing the Nations. The idea for the acronym, or at least this sermon series, came from a book called Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. This sermon series is not preaching through the book, but I did borrow their acronym because I like it. So it's, but the book is good. The book is focused on evangelism. This is a broader application. This is a broader application. So we are beginning with prayer because that's where it all begins. So as we talked about last week, it's not enough to simply read the Bible and see what Jesus says. We have to see it. If we're going to be apprentices of Jesus, that is disciples, people who devote their lives to following him so that the Holy Spirit begins to transform us from the inside out so that we actually are able to, empowered to obey his commands, we have to, as an apprentice of Jesus... We have to observe. We've got to see what he's doing. We, have to see. we also have to understand why he's doing it, and then we have to practice it. Those three have to be there. If you take one of them out, we won't grow in such a way that we actually become more and more like Christ. So we're going to look at three things. First, we're going to observe the example of Jesus' prayer. We're going to see him pray. Uh, secondly, we're going to tr- seek to understand what God does with prayer. Full disclosure, that's not going, you're not going to plumb the depths of the mystery of how uh, little puny people like us can talk to a sovereign God and then he then changes things. How that works, we're not covering. That it works, we will mention. So this isn't going to answer all your questions regarding prayer. It'll just start probably stirring up your heart so that you have even more. And then we're going to look at just some, some very practical ways that we can begin to practice and grow in this, uh, in this practice of prayer. So let's go to the Lord right now and intercede for all of us. Ask the Holy Spirit to come to guide us through his word and to make his will known and, uh, and accomplished in our lives. Father, we come to you. Lord, we thank you that you so loved us that you gave us your son. Thank you that it was your love that sought us, not our love for you. But you, having saved us, have called us to love. And when we look at our practice of our lives, we fall short of that in so many ways. Even with the people that, we, um, that we're close to, our family. Lord, so would you give us grace? Spirit, would you show us 
how to grow. Would you empower us to love well as you have loved us? Lord, help me to preach and teach your word in the power of the Holy Spirit for the exaltation of Christ and help us to grow closer to you and closer to one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so first of all, let's, let's take a look. Let's observe. Turn to your Bibles. Uh, you won't see the scripture on the screen, but turn to uh, Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 11. Turn to Luke chapter 11, um, verse 1. Let's just take a look. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Okay, a little group participation. I know it's awkward when you have hundreds of people. It's easier in a group of eight, but let's do it anyway. Why did his disciples ask Jesus to pray? Now, I'm not setting you up. I do that a lot. It's a trick question. Whatever you say is wrong, and I'm going to show you why. That's not what we're doing right now. Why did, G- why did his disciples ask Jesus to pray? There's multiple reasons. So name one. He was good at it. He was good at it. What else? They didn't do it. They didn't do it. Anything else? John taught his disciples. Now, some of Jesus' disciples were formerly John's disciples. So he's like, you know, John taught us how to pray. How about you teach us how to pray? So there's a lot there. We could keep going, and all of those answers are correct. He was good at it. They could see clearly that Jesus prayed a lot. They could see that he prayed a lot, and they could also see that when he prayed, things happened, that the Father used him in ways that were, were consistent with the way that Jesus prayed. So let's take a look. When he prayed, when he prayed, he was always praying. That's the first thing we notice. When Jesus was pray- after Jesus was finished praying, they asked teachers to pray. So here's a, a sampling, a very, very small sampling of some of Jesus' prayers that they would have observed. Well, actually, this first one is not something they would have deserve, uh, observed, but he told them about it. Forty days before he began his public ministry, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And what did he do in the wilderness? He fasted. Now, Matthew or Luke, neither one of them record that he actually prayed. But fasting and prayer go hand in hand. And what happens at the end of his fast? I love what Matthew said. It's the understatement, the greatest understatement in the Bible. He fasted for 40 days and he was hungry. Really? Hmm. It's funny. I go eight hours and I haven't eaten and my stomach is is just ready to, to just devour itself. 40 days and he's hungry. Now, some people will read that and they will assume that that set him up to be, uh, uh, to be vulnerable to temptation because the enemy comes to him at the end of the 40 days. I believe it's the exact opposite. I believe the Spirit led him into the wilderness and in order for him to be strengthened so he could stand firm in the strength and the power of his father under the assault of the enemy, he had to fast and pray for 40 days. After refuting the enemy with scripture, he was ministered to by angels and then he began his public ministry. So he kicked his ministry off with 40 days of prayer and fasting. We also saw that it was a common practice for Jesus to come into a city or be in the wilderness and people would come to him. Either way, he was going to a city or people were coming to him and he was constantly being pressed with the needs of people, the sick, the demonically oppressed, those who were downtrodden, and he gave them hope. He preached to them. He never turned anyone away. He healed all that came to him. And he then, Luke records in 5.16, would often withdraw to desolate places to pray. So he would do a stint 
of service, a sense of preaching, a sense of ministry, where he would pour himself for others. And then he would withdraw into the wilderness to be alone so he could pray. We also see that the night before he chose, called the 12 apostles to follow him, before he poured his life into them, he specifically went up on a mountain and he prayed all night long by himself. And then when he came down, he called these individuals to himself and they became the 12 apostles, including one whom he knew would betray him. He was always praying. And then after his disciples tried to cast a demon out of a young boy, they were unsuccessful and they were physically assaulted. Jesus comes in and he takes over the situation. Long story short, he casts the demon out. The boy is fine. Later, his disciples come to him and they ask, why couldn't we do it? Before we were successful when he sent them out to heal, to preach the gospel, to cast out demons. They were able to do it before. Why not now? Jesus says this kind comes out only by prayer. So they saw him pray. They saw that he was successful. They saw that, okay, as we're his disciples, if we're going to be his apprentices, we have to do as he's done. And he's prayed. So Lord, teach us to pray. Now, what did he teach them? What did he teach them? Luke gives us a shorter version. Matthew gives us a longer version, a more detailed version of the Lord's Prayer. Some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, that's curious. The Lord's Prayer is the Lord's Prayer. Why is it different? Well, how many of you have heard me preach on the same thing over and over and over and over again over the last 25 years? Have you ever noticed that it's not always the same, but it's pretty similar? Jesus probably, I'm just going to step out of a limb, probably taught them how to pray more than one time. Just what do you think? I'm going to go with, yeah, that'd be a normal thing to revisit this again and again and again. So in the Sermon on the Mount, his version there, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at the a little bit more detailed version of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is not going to be as exhaustive. Well, it's not going to be exhaustive. It's going to be bullet points. We're going to cover it briefly this morning, and then we're going to move on. I've done numerous different series, one on the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, Matthew chapter 5, all the way through chapter uh, 7. I've also done a sermon series just on the Lord's Prayer, where we go into detail. Each point is one sermon. So those are available in the archives if you're interested. But let's take a look. So verse 9, chapter 6. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. That's important. First of all, notice that it's plural. He's saying, our father, he's my father, he's your father too. He's your father too. Now that's also important. How does he address him? As father. If you are a follower of Christ, if Christ has atoned for your sins and you receive the Holy Spirit, your identity is an adopted child of God. You do not do anything to earn that status. That's what Jesus has done for you. You have received forgiveness by the work of the cross. Jesus has infused you into himself. You are now one with him. It is his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which is now credited to you. You are one. We are one with him. He's our dad. Our dad. So we address him. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Let's stop. Hallowed be your name. That means Jesus is saying, I want you to pray. We should pray to our Father that his name would be hallowed. Now that means to be made holy. And he said, wait a minute. I thought God was already holy. He's not holy and my prayers are going to make him holy. No, we can't make God holy. He already is holy. But what we can do by hallowing his name is ask that his name would be seen for what it is, holy, that the world would come to recognize the beauty, the majesty, the splendor, the holiness of a holy God. 
It's to make his name famous. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the first service, I got it backwards. On in heaven as it's done on earth. That's not the way it is. Jesus said specifically, on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what he's saying. We come to the Father and we recognize that as we look at his word, as we look at what he calls us to be as human beings who love our neighbors, who love God and our enemies as ourselves, we look at what he calls us to and we look at the reality that looks back in the mirror. We say there's a gap there. And then we look at, we look at the description of, of, a, of a holy people who are fully submitted to him and what that would be like. And we recognize that our culture, our society, and even our churches don't look like that. There's a gap. There's a gap. So what he's saying is, listen, I want you to pray that what you know to be true as an ideal becomes a reality in your own heart and the world and the community that you live in. And begin to pray that way. Begin to pray that way. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus recognizes that apart from God's infusing of grace, material provisions, as well as spiritual provisions, we cannot do what he calls us to do. We need literal bread. We have to trust him to provide. We need spiritual bread. We have to ask him to provide. And he gives graciously. He gives abundantly. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we come to him again and again and we pray that his will would be done on earth as is in heaven, starting in my heart, we recognize that yesterday, the day before, five minutes ago, I didn't, I didn't live that out. I failed. And so we come to him and we confess that and we recognize, and we also recognize that the people around us, they're not following his will either and they hurt us and they harm us. And so we come to him and we ask for forgiveness and we ask him to give us the grace to forgive other people who are not any different than us. So we can live his kingdom ethic out together. And then lastly, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we recognize that, like Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces that we can't even see. There is a God in heaven, yes. Praise God that he loves us and sent his son. But there is also an enemy who longs to keep us from his presence and to blind and keep blind the world that does not understand the beauty and majesty of Christ. And he will seek to derail our following Christ at every turn. And so Jesus is saying, be cognizant of that and ask your father for supernatural protection so that you would not be given over to temptation from the enemy. So that's what he taught. That's how we pray. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. But now let's take a, a look at understanding what is he God, what is God, what is this heavenly father, this father that we're addressing when we say our father in heaven? What does he then do with the prayers of little people that can't figure out how to balance their own checkbooks? What does he do with your prayers? What, did he, what does he do with my prayers? These are... These are people just like us. Jesus is teaching his disciples are just like us. Here's how you pray. What does he do with those prayers? Well, the first thing he does is he changes those who pray. I've been uh, journaling my prayers for decades, and it's not because I'm super spiritual. It's because I'm super distracted, and it helps me to focus. 
It's, it's, I'm not saying that if you're spiritual, you have to journal, but if you have a tendency and your mind wanders, it can be a helpful discipline to focus your prayers. And so I've been doing that. So I don't often go back and look at what I pray, but I have, they're all there. They're somewhere at home in a box. So I can go back and see what I was praying in 2005, in 2015. And I did this recently after sabbatical. I went back and I looked over what I actually was praying. And here's the majority, not all, but the majority of my prayers. Lord, change me. That is a significant theme in my prayer life. I'm asking the Lord to do in me what I know he wants me to do, but I can't do by myself. In a million different applications. So my prayer, God uses my prayer, and he's like, okay, I will. And then he puts me in circumstances which forces me to grow in the area that I'm asking him to pray for. Some of you are like, that's exactly what I don't want to start doing. That's exactly why you need to start doing it. If you pray for patience, what generally was going to happen? You're going to have an opportunity where you're going to need to display patience. So that's what God does. He orchestrates every circumstance, things that are beyond our control, to begin to change us. But we, we are co-laborers with him in the advancement of our kingdom. Apart from him, Jesus says, we can do nothing. But through him, we can do all things. We can do all things. Prayer changes those who pray. Changes our heart's desire. It also changes our trajectory. There is a story in this, uh, in this book, Bless, uh, a story uh, talking about Beth Moore, a popular Bible teacher, and I heard this story 20 years ago in one of her Bible studies. My wife told me about it. It was an awesome story. Uh, I'll just ask, how many of you know the hairbrush story? Raise your hand. A few of you. It's a great story. Great story. Here, here's what happened. Beth Moore, it's a regular practice to become, come before the Lord and ask, ask the Lord, Father, show me how you want me to be used today. Just very practical. Show me how to be used today. And so she's listening for opportunities. She's listening for opportunities. And, and generally the Holy Spirit prompts her. It's like, and it's not a voice where God says, do this, turn right, turn left, order vanilla, not chocolate. That's not how it works. But it's a general sense. I think the Lord wants me to do this. And then if it aligns with this scripture, it aligns with this plan, and it's consistent with the advancement of the kingdom of God, she's like, okay, I got to do it. So she's in an airport and she sees this, she's, at, she's praying this, and she sees this old man in a wheelchair, and she's like, oh, Lord, please, no. I don't want to witness to this old man. And then she heard from the Lord, again, not an audible voice, just an impression, I'm not asking you to witness to him, I'm asking you to brush his hair. Oh, that's much easier. So, so she's like, oh, man. So she's praying, and she goes up to them, and she bends down, and she kneels down, and she says, sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? And he's got his hair all over the place. To which he looks up at her and says, if you want to. <laughs> and, and in her mind, she's thinking, I would rather do anything else right now, but I'm being obedient to the Lord. So she, she says, the only problem is I don't have a brush. Do you have one? Yes, I do. So he opens up his carry-on and takes out a brush and gives her the brush and she begins to just brush his hair and she's caring for this old man and she's brushing his hair and she becomes lost in the moment and she's completely unaware of all of the people 
around her, looking at her, which you're probably thinking, you're a complete lunatic. All she's concerned about is this man and the love that she has and the love that God has for him. And when she's finished, she got all the knots out, all the tangles, and his hair is really smooth. She looks him in the eye and she says, do you know Jesus? And he said, yes, I do. My wife and I have been following him for decades. And I haven't seen her in six months because I've had open heart surgery. And I was just thinking to myself, today's the day I'm going to be reunited with my bride and my hair's a mess. God is concerned about every misplaced, tangled hair on an old man's head. And he's waiting for us to just simply say, God, how can you use me? He changes the course of our hearts. He changes the course of our day-to-day lives. When we come to him and say, what do you want me to do, Lord? God changes those who pray. He also changes those who are prayed for. Now, many of you raised your hand when Steve says, how many of you are here following Christ because someone prayed for you a long time ago? And many of you raised your hand. When I first came to Grace, it was January of 1988. It was my first time I'd ever walked inside of a church. And I had just wrestled the week before because it was January and the pastor was a wrestling fan and he happened to be at the meet, so he knew me and we were talking afterwards. This is back when Grace was about 50 people. And so we yucked it up and talked about wrestling and this and that. And I walked to the car and my, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, she stopped and she went back and she said, he's not saved. We'll pray for him. I don't know how a sovereign God, why he bothers to listen to to little teeny people who inconsistently do his will, but he does. And he chooses to act on our prayers for his glory because he wants us to participate in his redeeming his creation. He wants your life and my life to be one great adventure for his glory. And yes, he does answer prayer. And no, I don't know how God's sovereignty and man's free will and petitioning him have how they work. I don't. It's above my pay grade, but my boss knows. And he's the one who said, don't grow weary in prayer. God uses our prayers to change others. So oftentimes we we do short-term mission trips in various places, and Haiti is a place we often go back to, although we haven't been there for a while because of COVID and and civil unrest. But a few years back, we had a group of people. It's funny, when you go on a mission trip, generally everything changes. Why? Not because you left home, but because your practices became different. What's different about a missions trip is you start praying, Lord, how do you want me to use me How do you want to use me today? You're just somewhere else, but now all of a sudden you're super in tune to the Lord using you. So this this team is constantly praying, Lord, use us, Lord, use us, Lord, use us. And a couple guys, uh, Jeff Shanks and Kevin Wall, they're going door to door. They're just out in the market and they're just talking to people with the translator. And they, they knock on this lady's door and 
lady comes and she's speaking, uh, and, and the translator goes back and forth. She goes, well, come on in. I'm ex- inspecting you, expecting you. He said, oh, okay, this is odd, total stranger. They go in, and he said, I had a dream last night that two white men were coming today, and they're supposed to share good news with me. So what is it? To which they shared the gospel and she received Christ. God had prepared her heart in such a way that he gave her a dream the night before that a couple guys were going to knock on the door to share good news. He actually works in our lives when we pray. He actually works in those lives who are not prepared to come to him by preparing their hearts. Again, I don't know how. I just know that we're commanded to pray. And God says, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. That's what God does with prayer. Now, granted, that was very brief. That was very brief. There's a lot of things we could cover, a lot of scriptures we could cover. But we're going to move into the practice. Identifying steps for growth. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. In fact, please don't. But I want you to think about this. How many of you right now are completely satisfied with your prayer life? I would not raise my hand. I'm going to guess, just a hunch, I'm going to guess that probably most people, not all of you, there are some prayer warriors here, but many of you probably think, yeah, this is one of the other areas that I stink at including loving my family, my neighbors, and my enemies whom I loathe. So, yeah, let's just throw a prayer in there. Now I feel really good. Thanks. Every time I come here, I feel worse about myself. You know, I understand, I understand where you're coming from. Because when I read the scriptures, I don't, I, don't, I don't see myself carrying these commands out. And, and I, I aspire to. So what do you do? What's the first point in this sermon? You begin with prayer, right? So you recognize there's a gap. You, even in, even in your, your consistently in prayer, I don't pray as I ought to. Yeah. Okay, what are we going to do about it? As a disciple, as uh, an apprentice of Jesus, we have to walk it out. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, whoever would abide in Christ must walk as Jesus did. So let's, let's walk it out. What's that look like? Be intentional. Set aside a time and a day every day. Now, by the way, if you're not used to praying, don't read Luther's biography and see that, oh, he prayed four hours every morning, so that's where I'm going to start. You won't make it a half an hour. Anybody ever do a Couch to 5K app? Any of you? Okay, what's the principle? The principle is that you're a slug. The principle is that we can't run across the street without having cardiac arrest. So the app starts out with walk 100 yards and jog 50. Walk 100 yards and jog 50. And after you've reached one mile, collapse in a puddle of exhaustion. But you keep doing that and the duration of your run gets longer and longer to the point where you can run a 5K. And then they also have couch to marathon. It's not different. Don't start with four hours of prayer. You won't make it. How about 10 minutes? Set aside a time and a place. Set a time, a time and a place. Now, if you have small children, you're going to have to get up early or you're going to have to do this before you go to bed probably. Or you're going to have to take a lunch hour where you drive to a lonely place 
in a parking lot and just by yourself. But it's, it's, start doing this day to day. Now, some of you are like, well, I think, I think prayer should be spontaneous. Paul says that we're to pray without ceasing. I don't need a special time and a place. You won't pray spontaneously until you pray specifically in a time and a place. How many husbands, just for fun, because I like to watch you squirm. (laughs) How many of you husbands have had your wives tell you that your communication with me is shallow and we don't communicate enough? Anyone? Am I the only guy who's heard that? Okay. Now, how many of you have used this brilliant line? Well, I like my conversation to be spontaneous. Anybody use that? Probably not. Why? That's the dumbest thing ever. Your wife will hammer you. Here's the deal. You can't exercise spontaneity until you've exercised the discipline of doing it on a regular basis. Musicians can can riff and do jazz and kind of just do a jam session because they're disciplined. They've done it so many times that they can be creative in the moment. It's very difficult to pray without ceasing until you've actually set aside 10 minutes a day to do it on a regular basis. So start there. Start there. Be intentional. Secondly, start with a guide. Some of you are like, I don't know where to start. That's why the disciples said, teach us to pray. Use the Lord's Prayer as a template. You can pray it word for word if you want. God honors that. But break it down. Have a conversation with the Lord about his fatherhood, about your sonship or daughtership, about his name being made hollow in your home, in your community, what that might look like. Ask him, Lord, what would that look like? Ask him, Lord, what is your will for my life? What do you want to change in my life? So for, but use that as a template. Use that as a guide. And you'll find that, oh my gosh, 10 minutes just flew by. It's, I actually, there was stuff I could pray for. But use that as a guide to guide, you, to, use, to guide your prayers. And then pray together. Pray together. Share what you're praying for with other people. And here's something that it's, it's a practice. And if you've been at Grace and you've ever come up to me, um, I've probably, you've shared a prayer request, and not always, but most of the time when someone says, hey, here's what's going on in my life, and we're here at church, or we're somewhere else, I'll just put my hand on your shoulder, and I say, well, let me pray for you right now. Why do I do that? Because I'm super spiritual, obviously. (laughs) No. Because I'm undisciplined, and the moment you walk out of my sight, I will have forgotten your face, and I will not pray for you. Why? Because I'm a human being. I won't remember. So, so pray together. When you share your burdens, start getting in the habit of saying, let's pray right now. It was so cool after the first service to watch. All of a sudden, I'm like, hey, look, they're, they're doing it. It's not hard. You say, what's awkward? You know, life's awkward. Telling someone for the first time, I love you, is awkward. Giving someone a hug and caring for them is awkward. You'll get over it. Pray together. Pray together. Pray for one another. Ask someone else to pray for you. Would you pray for me? Because I'm really struggling here. This is what I want to do, but I just can't seem to do it. And in a very, very practical way, I'm going to... One of the things that I, I aspire to do and, and hope to see happen at Grace is to, is to have, our, have our theology become very practical and, and walk it out. So here's an assignment. Assignment. So I didn't know there was going to be homework. I'm going to find a different church. <laughs> More power to you. But 
If we're going to be apprentices of Jesus, we've got we to walk as he walks. So here's an assignment. And no, I'm not going to check it. I'm not the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. So using Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and then Matthew 22, 36 through 40, the Great Commandment, and then the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, as a guide, that's a starting place. You can go, go crazy. Use whatever scripture the Lord brings to your heart. Write, write your own psalm. You know what a psalm is? They're prayers. They're written songs or psalms. So, so use, the, use those and write out a psalm. He said, well, I'm not very good at writing. No one else is going to read this but you. But that becomes, you know, the psalm that, uh, that, that Steve read? That's David's prayer. He just read you a prayer that someone else wrote thousands of years ago. So here's, here's, here's kind of how, how you can gu- be guided through this. First of all, as you're going through this week and you're reading these verses and other verses, just get a pad of paper and say, Lord, Lord, who do you want me to become? As your disciple, that might be, I want you to become my child. Some of you are not yet followers of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ and you say, Lord, who do you want me to become? I'll tell you exactly what the Holy Spirit's going to be say. I want you to become my child. I want you to receive my free grace. I want you to receive my son. And if you already are a follower of Christ and you say, Lord, who do you want me to become? I'll tell you what he'll say, what he said to me. Brooks, I want you to become a man who loves others well. Because that's how people are going to know whether or not you're actually my followers. Not with your ability to teach, not with your ability to speak, and not with how clever you are, but to the degree to which they see my love in you. And the Holy Spirit's going to speak differently at different places to all of you. But that's why you have to do this on your own. You have to get before the Lord and ask him, Lord, what, who do you want me to, to become? And then, and then ask him, who do you want me to bless? And some of you are like, not doing it, because I don't want to have to brush some guy's hair in an airport. <laughs> he, I'm not going to say he won't ask you to. But he is going to prompt you very specifically to think of certain people. And some of them are sitting right next to you and they don't feel loved. I'm not saying that to beat up on you. I'm just saying because I've been there. And it might be total strangers at times. It might be people that you loathe. It might be people that are your enemies. But he'll bring someone very specific to your mind's eye. And then you're going to say, I don't even know how to do that. Exactly. And that brings us to the third point. Lord, how do you want me to do it? I don't know what to do. How do you want me to bless them? If we start engaging our Father in that kind of dialogue, do you understand that that's relational? Do you understand that assumes that you walk with him? That you hear from him? That you talk to him? And, and that's what it means to be an apprentice of Christ. That's what he wants. Now, I've been talking a lot about what you should do, what I should do, what you should do, what I should do, what we should do. And here's the thing about do, do, do. It's overwhelming. You're like, I can't run a 5K. I can't run a marathon. I can't run across the street. I don't know where to start. I'm weak. That's okay. He's strong. He's strong. And I want us to focus on the most important prayer, which is not what you pray this week, but what he has already prayed for you. 
The reference here is John chapter 17. This is the night that Jesus was betrayed. And he prayed for his disciples that they would be one as he and the Father are one. That the Father would protect them, not take them out of the world, but protect them while they're in the world. That the Father would sanctify them according to truth. That he would set them apart, that he would make them holy, that he would use them. And then he said, and I pray not only for them, but I pray for those who someday will believe in me because of their word. Do you know what he's saying? Jesus is saying, I'm praying for the people in North Liberty at Grace Community Church at the 930 service. And then he went to the cross. And he died for our sins. And then he rose again and he ascended into heaven. And do you know what he's been doing for the last 2,000 years at the right hand of the Father? He's been interceding continually every single moment for you, for us, his bride. He's been saying to his father, Father, protect them. Father, change their hearts. Would you remind them how deeply loved they are? Would you make your face shine upon them so that they look into your eyes, they see a loving father? Would you give them my heart for them? And would you give them my heart for one another? Would you stand in the gap and would you protect them from the assault of the enemy so that after Satan has tried to sift them like wheat, that they would persevere? He's been constantly interceding in prayer, continually from the moment he ascended into heaven. So yes, your prayers are pathetic. And yes, your prayers are weak, but Jesus' prayers are anchored in eternity. And he will have his will done in your life. Your role is simply, my role is simply to submit to him and cry out with weak, trembling, very small voices, to a God who is all-powerful and loving. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you have called us to yourselves. Thank you that it is you who loved us first. Lord, help us to love you, to love one another. Father, we thank you for all that you have done, all that you will do. Teach us how to pray. Help us to be persevering in prayer. We lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you're dismissed, just want to encourage you, if you'd like someone to pray for you, you've got a heavy heart, or maybe you want to come to Christ this morning, I want to encourage you to come forward. I'll be up front. Some of our other elders, other pastors, other individuals can just meet with you in prayer. Um, but go in grace and continue to pray. See you next week.